On Sunday, before the great debate between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump hosted a press conference. Unlike other pre-debate press conferences, which may include campaign staff or high-profile elected officials, this conference was different. At Trump's press conference were four women. Three of them have accused Bill Clinton of sexual abuse. Paula Jones, Kathleen Willey, and Juanita Broderick were all allegedly victimized by Bill Clinton, and then bullied and harassed by Hillary Clinton. The fourth woman, Kathy Shelton, was 12 years old when she was raped in 1975. Hillary Clinton was the defense attorney for her rapist. The details of the rape are brutal and horrific, but the rapist was sentenced to only two months' time served. After the sentencing, Hillary is documented on tape laughing at the girl's expense and bragging about how her client was able to pass a polygraph, which, in the words of Hillary Clinton, made her never want to trust a polygraph test ever again. The left will continue to accuse Trump of being part of a, quote, war on women, but actions speak louder than words. Trump's off-color comments about on a hot mic over a decade ago pale in comparison to the way the Clintons have victimized, mistreated, abused, and taken advantage of women for years. I'm James Alsop, and this is Campus Report. All right, it is the Monday after the great debate between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton that took place on Sunday evening, and this is Campus Report, hosted by the Liberty Conservative. And there is quite a bit to unpack from that debate. That was that was probably the best presidential debate that I've ever seen in modern electoral history, for sure. A lot of people commenting after the fact that uh, that politics has changed forever, is what CNN said. So whether that is hyperbolic or not, uh, you don't have to get to. But a lot of a lot of clashes between the two candidates. But at every step, Donald Trump seemed to take the upper hand, which is something that that he had to do, and that he was not not able to do in that first debate. Hillary tried to, to throw him off his game. He wouldn't let it happen. He would respond in, in ways that he would interrupt at times, but he would respond in ways that were concise and they were funny. He had a good sense of humor. And they were they were confident. He was just very confident last night, which is, I think, what, what a lot of people are walking away thinking. And he was also able to hammer her on policy. He was able to deflect the questions about Russia and, and able to break from his VP, Mike Pence, about the war in Russia, which is, I think, fantastic. He was able to show Hillary Clinton as being feckless and ineffective and, and a bad legislator. He was able to talk about how she was in the Senate for 30 years and didn't change anything, despite promising to. And he was able to, to get one step ahead of her at every turn. And so we'll get back into that a little bit uh, later. But we lead today with a story that we are actually... The Liberty Conservative last night, we were one of the ones, the first ones to break, one of the first news outlets uh, to break this story. It was going around quite a bit on Twitter after after the debate was over, um, and it involved a CNN focus group of, quote, undecided voters, a CNN panel of undecided voters that they were, they were quote, hosting, right? Uh, you know, how the news networks do this. They have the undecided voters that haven't watched the debate. And then at the end, they, they talk to them and say, okay, you know, who impressed you, who looked bad, who looked good, who are you more likely to vote for? And so CNN was holding one of those, and it appeared to be with uh, voters who were at the, at the venue. Actually, no, they were not at the venue. This was a focus group in Columbus, Ohio, and the debate was hosted in um, St. Louis, Missouri. So this panel, this focus group in Columbus, uh, they're all sitting down, and they're all uh, you know, they're all watching the debate, and the CNN host is there to interview them. Um, but CNN had a had a hot mic moment of their own on the broadcast when they were going from uh, they were cutting from showing a video of the debate of Trump and Hillary, and they were cutting back to the studio audience. But they had accidentally turned this reporter's mic on, and you can read this full story at libertyconservative.com. That's thelibertyconservative.com, where we have this full story. It's it's called "Busted CNN Caught Feeding Clinton Talking Points to Focus Group." Um, at the Liberty Conservative, and go check it out there. And so the, her mic's on. They turn her mic on, and <laughs> they turn it on too early. They're not supposed to turn her mic on, obviously, until she's ready to start delivering her her remarks for TV. But they turn it on early, and and she is caught red-handed, telling the focus group what to say. They catch her. They they're repeating. She is repeating Hillary's talking point that America is great because America is good, which is, just by the way, a awful line. It does not make sense, and it's it's just more of Hillary Clinton's pre-prepared, pre-packaged garbage that she wanted to come to this debate with. That that Trump just, you know, Trump pulled a Mike Pence, and he would kind of laugh and and smirk whenever whenever she would try to pull stuff like that, and it worked to his advantage. But CNN is is really trying to make this thing stick. It's really trying to make this America's great because we're good. 
line and this narrative stick. And, and so, oh, we don't need to make America great again. We're already great because Grandma Hillary told me so. Crazy Hillary told me so. And they are just busted, red-handed, delivering the lines, telling the focus group what to say. Is there any reason why only 6% of Americans trust CNN or, or trust the mainstream media? Is there any surprise when you see things like this happening that, that people are abandoning the media full scale and turning to alternative media sources? I don't think so. I mean, this is if this isn't a clear example of bias, then the the moderation on the part of Anderson Cooper last night at the debate was was something to be marveled at. Um, Trump was right at, at one point when he said that it was three on one. He said that the debate was three on one because Martha Raddatz, uh, Anderson Cooper, they would both jump in and they would both try to debate Trump and they would both try to try to essentially act as a surrogate for Hillary when Hillary wasn't wasn't performing well when when sick Hillary wasn't living up to her own you know masterful debate standards. We hear that Hillary is a master debater all the time. We hear she's great. She's the best. she's huge. She's the best. It's huge. We hear that all the time. But then when we see her actually debate, it's you know it's not good. She's not good at this. She comes in with her prepackaged lines, and then she she expects them to stick. Because in a traditional political cycle, they would, because each candidate would be using these these prepackaged lines. But if anything demonstrates that Trump is not a prepackaged line guy, his press conference where he, he just pulls this master media mastery move to hold a press conference with Bill Clinton's rape victims before the before the debate. That's just something never nobody's ever done before, and it's great. the The media, of course, loses their minds when when Trump does this. You know, they're using them as a as a tool for Trump. I can't believe it. It's so terrible. Okay, well, what was Alicia Machado? What was Alicia Alicia Machado was allegedly some woman who was was victimized by evil Donald Trump, and Hillary was okay to use that. So so Trump can't use women that Bill Clinton actually raped, and that Hillary Clinton bullied rape victims that Hillary Clinton made fun of and bullied. Trump can't use that. You know, like I said in the monologue, actions speak louder than words. And these women were actually victimized by Donald Trump. Uh, there weren't just mean things said, right? Allegedly. And that's, that's the thing is that, that a lot of this stuff is all alleged. Well, Hillary Clinton on tape making fun of this 12 year old rape victim. That's not alleged. You know, that's not alleged. The, the testimony that we got from experts talking about uh, Hillary attempting to assassinate the character of of uh, Kathy Shelton when she was a 12-year-old girl who just got raped on the side of a highway, that's not alleged. That's that's just true. If you look at the court documents, it's all true. So for for the media to say, oh, they're, they're just, it's an evil attack. I mean, uh, CNN called it, you know, the Breitbart strategy. You know, ooh, it's the big scary Breitbart strategy. Well... If that just means you know being a little bit tougher and being a little bit more aggressive with attacking the Clintons, that's a good thing. You know, that's a good thing. Do you think Marco Rubio would have done this? No, no. Marco Rubio is, and all the girls. Yeah, I love Marco Rubio. No, Marco Rubio would never have done something like this because Marco Rubio does not have the spine to do something like this. You know, this is something that that they're saying it's it's the act of a, a losing campaign. No, it's it's. It is the action of a campaign that truly wants to win. That truly wants to win. If you look at Bill Clinton's face, there's a, a picture going around the internet right now, it's all over the place, of Bill Clinton's face looking at these rape victims. There's no doubt. <laughs> you can have no doubt that he knows he got caught. And he, he knows he got caught. And this is something that people have known for a long time, is that you know Bill Clinton's kind of rapey. Bill Clinton has... Has, there's been a lot of allegations and things, and for Trump to bring this to the mainstream and, and to bring this in and force the mainstream media to cover it, even though they're going to spin it, they're going to they're going to spin it against the rape victims. Hey, mainstream media, I thought we were supposed to support and believe all rape victims. <laughs> what happened to that? Right? Hillary Clinton saying we need to we need to support and believe all rape victims. Okay, what about Juanita Broderick and Kathleen Willey and Paula Jones? I guess it doesn't apply to people you politically disagree with or to people it would be politically expedient or non-expedient, I should say, for you not to disagree with or for you to disagree with. So 
uh, the, the media totally got got played. The media's freaking out. Of course, the media's freaking out because they know they got played. This is something that, <laughs> uh, if you follow my personal Facebook, you know this very well. That I'm very familiar with the way the media freaks out when they get played. Um, as an aside, I was at a Black Lives Matter rally. I'm also the president of my college Republicans chapter. I was at a Black Lives Matter rally, and I gave my name as Sam Hyde <laughs> when doing an interview with the media. Who's of course Sam Hyde is of course. You know, the, the comedian who's very well adored by the right wing. And I saw a troll in the media. We were all trolling the media. We're giving him names like humongous and stuff. And the campus paper freaks out. They put out this big hit piece on me, on college Republicans, accused us of brandishing weapons, accused us of being a violent. Uh, and then I threatened to sue them because they, because they committed a libel and they had to retract parts of their story. So um, <laughs> even at the even at the campus level, you know, even at the college campus level on a college paper, the media will spin. The media will do their best to discredit and to demoralize and to demonize uh, conservatives. And the media is trying to do this with Trump. I mean, that's why you see this whole this whole grabber by the wherever, in the words of Trump, tape. Be some big story. Oh, no, you know, it's, it's, just, it's a verbal hate crime. He's condoning sexual assault. No. You listen to the tape. It's how it's, it's off color and it's inappropriate and it's probably morally wrong. But it's how a lot of men talk, you know. It's it's how men talk about uh, women when they're with other men, when they're in the company of other men. It's not how all men talk, but I mean, there's a sizable amount of men who do, who do talk like that way. And people are out here saying that oh, Trump is covering for sexual assault. Well, that's not true at all. Trump's not covering for sexual assault. C- Trump is saying something that we all inherently know to be true, and that is when that you're a man who has a lot of money, you're a billionaire, you're an alpha male you have a lot of status, that women want to be with you. Is there any disagreement about that? Does anybody doubt that's true, that women want to be with alpha men who are rich and who are well-known and who are celebrities? No, we all know that. Everybody knows that. And so for people to come out and say, oh, that, you know, I can't believe Trump would Trump would say this about women. You know, women are fragile, delicate creatures. A good friend of mine, Forrest Taylor, did a did a fantastic video about this. Uh, <laughs> it's it, it's a parody. We'll link it below, where he's essentially mocking the whole situation and and he's mocking the the pearl clutching going on among among feminists and among new males. And that's the problem. You know, a lot of a lot of new males, a lot of uh, or we could say beta males who who have never had a lot of encounters with women, who have never talked to women that much, who've never been in a position to, uh, I should say, sexually negotiate with a lot of women. They think this is just reprehensible. This is terrible. How could Donald Trump do this to poor, innocent women? Well, you know, if you're somebody who spent a lot of time around a frat house or going going out into social events, you know, this is how men and women interact in a lot of cases. No, no, I'm not condoning doing things without consent, which is what, you know, many people would say. Oh, you're just you're, you're apologizing for rape culture. No, I'm not. You know, consent is absolutely imperative. And if Donald Trump ever sexually took advantage of a woman without her consent, I would call for him to be imprisoned if you know, the charges are are there and suffer the consequences. I think he'd be unfit to be president if he really did sexually assault women without their consent. But that is absolutely not what happened here. And that's not what he's talking about here. That's not what he's talking about in this tape. But people are trying to conflate him saying, yeah, you know, I'm a high value man. I, women, you know, tend to be okay with it when I when I come up to them. They, they, they want that and they, you know, they reciprocate. People are, are trying to conflate that with him saying, yeah, you know, you can Bill Clinton full, full on, you know, take advantage of women, which is not what he's saying. And the media knows it and most people know it and most conservatives know it too and most of these conservatives who are now jumping ship and saying you know i am so disappointed and i am morally you know taken taken aback and i'm shocked by what donald trump has said and and they're jumping ship at the first sign of of hardship and a lot of leaders are quote leaders in the republican party are doing this and it's so ironic to see them all just just abandoned like you know like rats the day before the debate they jumped off the ship like rats before the debate and then trump comes in and he delivers a masterful debate performance a really a level debate performance and i'm not being hyperbolic it a lot of people are saying it wasn't a and then these people are going to come groveling back and say well you know i i guess i can i guess i can get used to trump uh, newsflash you know if you're one of the people who jumped ship and, and and said that you were done with trump before the debate 
uh, we don't want you, right? The people are, I shouldn't say we, but the people who are going to be part of the Republican Party going forward if Trump wins the presidency, there is no place for people who displayed cowardice of that level. People like people like Paul Ryan, for example, you know, who said, oh, he, he's done, he's done, he's done, he's walking out. Okay, you know, there's no place in the Republican Party for you afterwards. Uh, Mike Lee, you know, sorry, man, but there's really no place for you in the party afterwards if Trump is to win. So those people really did themselves a disservice by jumping off the Trump train so quickly because I think <laughs> had they known what was going to happen in the debate last night, they probably would have made a different decision. Anyways, this is all to say, and this is all to cover um, and discuss the fact that the media is full of it. The media will absolutely lie. The media will absolutely shill. They will try to correct the record in any way possible. And and CNN, it is sad to see how far CNN has fallen. It really is because at the start of this election cycle, look, I, I wasn't a big fan of CNN. I, I didn't love CNN, but I would, I respected them. I I respected them as a, as a generally you know, a generally acceptable news source, okay? You know, and most people did, I think, I think too. Most people trusted CNN and thought, okay, you know, they may have a slant, but, you know, at least they're, at least they're honest most of the time. Yeah, not anymore. Not anymore. Um, CNN absolutely, absolutely blown out of the water last night. I mean, not only the focus group thing, but also the damning thing was what they did with their, with their uh, post-election poll, with their their post-election poll or the post sorry post-debate poll, um, where they where they released this poll and I, I'm trying to find it now. Oh yeah, they said they said that 57% of debate viewers thought Clinton won, 34% thought Trump won. Okay, anybody watching that? knows that's not true. Anybody who watched that debate knows that 57% of people did not think Hillary Clinton won that debate. And you know what's funny about that poll is that after the fact, once they once they are forced to release their methodology, it becomes known that, oh, that poll sampled plus 25% Democrats. Plus 25% Democrats. And then they say that that, oh, you know, ah, Clinton's a decisive victor. You know, it's all over. Clinton Clinton won. Nothing to see here, guys. Yeah, because you pulled all Democrats, CNN. You pulled all Democrats. Um, and and it was it's just absolutely, you know, ridiculous. And then CNN for their, their post-debate panel to then come up and say, uh, Dana ba- or Jake Tapper, sorry it was, um, he's saying, oh, it's, it's scary for Donald Trump to say he's going to, he's going to, put Hillary Clinton in jail. Okay, that's not what he said. What he said is that if he was in charge of the executive branch, he would be forcing the executive branch to do their job, and the FBI in that case would have indicted Hillary Clinton because she clearly broke the law. And we need to be a country of laws. That's what Donald Trump is saying. That's what Donald Trump is saying. And it's saying that we need to be a country of laws, we need to do our job. He's not saying he's going to he's going to win the election and say, "Haha, you know, we're throwing Hillary in jail." That's that's not what he said. Um, CNN also lied about where uh, it was Gloria Berger, Gloria Borger, um, you know, falsely quoted Trump saying, "I'd put her in jail." He didn't say that. Uh, Gloria Borger also lied and said that he called Hillary Clinton the devil multiple times. Uh, no, he he never directly even called her the devil. He said that that Bernie Sanders made a deal with the devil when he went out and endorsed Hillary. He went out and endorsed Hillary. So um, CNN is absolutely having the credibility shredded right now. CNN is absolutely uh, shredded. If you look at their Twitter mentions, everybody is blowing them out for this. Everybody's just just absolutely laying into them for it. Because people are, people know. People are waking up. People know that CNN can't be trusted. And if they want to get the real truth, if they want to get the real stories, they have to go to the alternative media. They do. They do. Um and and it's not only CNN. It's uh, CNN just hired the. This is breaking right now. One two minutes ago, according to Washington Post, CNN just hired BuzzFeed's best investigative team, according to Washington Post. Okay, BuzzFeed's best investigative team. 
Um, I wonder if that's going to include uh, our our friend um, Joe Bernstein, right? <laughs> if that's gonna if that's gonna be Joe Bernstein from Beautiful Joe, in the words of Sam Hyde, um, joining CNN there to to try and trash trash the Trump. Um, so. We can move back to the debate now. So I think the debate went really well for for Trump. I think it was a masterful performance. I would give Trump's performance an A. There were a couple blemishes to prevent it from being an A plus, but generally, throughout the whole debate, it was it was masterful. He was in control of the room. You had Hillary rattled. She looked she looked terrified. If you watch that debate, she looked absolutely terrified. You could see it in her eyes. She was scared because she knew that Trump had her on the rails for essentially eighty five out of the ninety minutes. The first five minutes, Trump kind of got a feel for himself, got a feel for the room, got a feel for what Hillary was going to bring at him, and then he started to throw the kitchen sink at her, and he he took her apart. He absolutely took her apart. And whether people want to to want to whether CNN wants to acknowledge that or not is a different question. But but I think everybody watching that saw it. Um, I think this debate was going to be really the the tipping point for people, and it it could be. It could have been the end of Trump's campaign. I think last night could have easily been the end of Trump's campaign. If he had gotten out there and Hillary had gotten under his skin and made him look petty and defensive and weak and and just petulant, then I think we'd be looking at President Hillary Clinton. And I think that a lot of people, uh, myself included, would start to tell the truth about <laughs> the fact that Donald Trump had, had very low chances of, of winning, of, of pulling it out. But by God, did we get the polar opposite of that last night? We absolutely got the opposite. Trump was was absolutely in command of the room. He was in command of the uh, the, the dialogue. He called out and exposed the moderators very early on, which I think is this is something that Scott Adams has probably touched on. But that's a great technique because it anything from there from then on, any interactions with you and the moderators after you say, "Hey, look, it's three on one. It's three on one." You know, wow, it's three on one. Anytime there's a confrontation between you and the moderators after, or they let Hillary talk extra, or they cut you off early, that's in people's minds. The fact that it's that you said it's three on one is in people's minds, and so you're conditioning them. Right? This is why Trump is such a great negotiator and such a great persuader, because he conditions the, the debate audience early on to think, okay, if they're unfair to Trump. You know, this is the, this is the media, and and most people instinctively distrust the media, and so they're it's an easy sell. It's an it's an easy sell, and so um, and it even made even easier, making it even easier is the fact that CNN is absolutely lying. CNN is absolutely lying, and and is biased. So Trump was able to to condition them, and condition the debate audience, condition the the audience back at home, and he was able to to perform very well. He's able to perform very well. I think the line about wanting to enforce the law and and Hillary would be in jail if Trump was president was a fantastic line. Was a fantastic line. I think the just dressing down he did of Hillary when she hit him with the war on women thing and dressing him uh, her down and and Bill for for being a rapist, who Bill Clinton is a rapist, of course, and talking about what he what she did to the twelve year old girl who was raped uh in in arkansas kathy shelton what she did to her that was great these were all great moments for trump and then when he was able to pivot to wikileaks that was also a fantastic move for trump this is what i had been saying in the full week leading up to the debate or actually in the in the like four or five days four days i should say since the the stuff about the tapes dropped i said okay trump can still win this debate and it's an easy three or four step pivot one, you get out there and you acknowledgeize. You, you, sorry, you, you acknowledgeize. You acknowledge it happened and you apologize. Step one. Step two, you say, I said these things 20 years ago, but look at what Bill, and, and these are words, but look at Will, what Bill Clinton did to women. Look at what Bill Clinton did to women. Step three, you pivot to, and, and then you say, look at what Hillary did. Look at what Hillary did to women. Look at how Hillary treated Bill's rape victims. Look at how Hillary treated these young girls that were that were raped. If we want to talk about war on women, let's talk about that. And then step four, and this is where you make, you you really bring it back to reality. You say, Trump says, look, these are all just distractions. These are all just words. These are things that happened a long time ago. I don't want to talk about war on women. Hillary certainly doesn't want to talk about the war on women. Let's talk about immigration. Let's talk about keeping the country safe. 
and let's talk about the issues that Americans care about, the economy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because then you you, you make it look like Hillary is just paying, playing petty politics. And Trump followed that strategy exactly. He followed that strategy exactly. And it worked out for him. And he, and he won, and so I'm glad he did it. I'm glad he... I'm glad him and his staff, because I, I, I think a lot of it was probably Kellyanne Conway. I am so glad that they did that because Trump was back in this, folks. I mean, Frank Luntz had a focus group. I'm not one to take Frank Luntz at face value all the time, but I think this is more representative, certainly more representative of reality than the CNN poll where they, they over uh, oversampled Democrats. Um, and <laughs> and according to, uh, to CNN, of course, that sample was 58% Democrats. 58% Democrats were sampled and then um, 42% of independents and Republicans. This is just crazy. This is just this is just crazy. How the length CNN is going to to rig this election for Hillary Clinton. So we were talking. Yeah. So that's uh, that's just you know insane that CNN would do that. Oh, anyways, Frank Luntz. Uh, he had a focus group, and by the end of the night, um, most people had flipped to Trump. People came in pretty split. And I think Hillary had a slight advantage coming into the focus group. By the end of the night, they said they were all going to vote for Trump or leading Trump anyways. And so that is that is just the power of, what, of this debate that it had last night. And I think Trump is back in the race. Frank Luntz actually said afterwards that Trump is now back in the race. I am very inclined to believe him and to agree with him about that. I think Trump did himself a lot of favors last night. And I honestly, I think this is going to be the turning point. This is where... You're going to start to see that that polling shift back, and you're going to start seeing Trump pull back into the into the down by one or ahead of one uh, frame. He's going to be in that within a point of Hillary on either side, and I'm more inclined to believe the LA Times tracking poll, which says that he's three points ahead, because <laughs> Hillary Clinton is is just so bad, and you don't see a lot of support. You don't see real people supporting her. You don't see real people out there supporting supporting Hillary Clinton. So it's uh, and the lengths the media is going to to make it look like there are real people supporting Clinton makes me even more inclined to think there aren't real people supporting Clinton. All right. So speaking of crooked Hillary, speaking of sick crooked Hillary, we haven't heard crooked Hillary in a while. Uh, speaking of Hillary Clinton, this is another story that the Liberty Conservative is in the process of breaking. We're just we're just breaking news left and right here with with uh, with Hillary and the debate. Uh, Hillary Clinton actually suffered another seizure, another Hillary seizure after the debate when she was on the press plane about to leave St. Louis. And this is something the mainstream media is not picking up on. Uh, to his credit, this is something I first saw from Mike Cernovich on Twitter last night that the media is just not even going to touch. And I'm, I'm pulling up the video here. Um, what you can see in the video is Hillary Clinton talking to reporters and then she has a, an eye movement very similar to what happened in the the much publicized um, picture and video of her at the DNC where she sees the balloons and her eyes shift all over the place and, and she, she kind of loses her mind there a little bit. And so her eyes start shifting around her head and then you start to see the head bob and the head roll. And, and she's moving around, she's rolling her head. It's very subtle. But then she closes her eyes like she does during these seizures. And you can see, because of the angle of the camera and the lighting, one of the muscles in her neck is having a muscle spasm. Look, I, I have been very involved in the fitness industry uh, for a while. I, I know what a muscle spasm looks like. That was an absolute muscle spasm. It was an absolute muscle spasm in, in, in the, the muscles in her neck. And her head's rolling, and she closes her eyes like she does. It's not as bad as the one that has been very publicized, the one that, that Paul Joseph Watson included in his video. But it is absolutely, without a doubt, another Hillary seizure. And so we at the Liberty Conservative are in the process of breaking the story, and we'll have it out uh, hopefully by the time this this piece, this podcast, is uploaded. But she's caught again. I mean, her, her health, you know, we're so quick to forget her health concerns. We're so quick to put stories away after, you know, a week or so. But her health concerns are still a real thing. And if she's going to continue to keep having seizures like this, and the media, of course, like I said, the media is not going to talk about it, so we have to be the ones to talk about it. We have to talk about it here. Uh, we don't have the power of the TV networks; so they could easily show this video, but we're talking about it here on on audio. So, you know, yay for for objectivity and and for the objective mainstream media, right? Not so much. Well, that is uh, so that's happening. So stay tuned for that story also on theLibertyConservative.com. 
is where we're going to be breaking that. Well, I think that just about wraps up our post-debate coverage, wraps up our, our stories about the debate. Um, I'm going to leave you with a conversation that we had uh, among the, the staff of the Liberty Conservative here, uh, recording a pilot for the Liberty Conservative podcast. That's right. The Liberty Conservative is now expanding into two podcasts, um, or, or the, the main Liberty Conservative podcast will be, it's still in the naming process and, and still being all the details worked out, but expect to see very soon a second podcast coming from at a regular basis uh, from our site. So we're really moving headfirst into into uh, audio media and really moving headfirst, headfirst into podcasting. Uh, very exciting to stuff. And I joined a panel uh, hosted by Gavin Wax, the site's founder, and Joe Curtinitis, Joel Curtinitis, sorry, who is a writer for the Des Moines, Des Moines Register or Des Moines Tribune. I, th- I think, Joel, I apologize. I'm going to get it wrong. Uh, it's one of the two, uh, Des Moines Register or Des Moines Tribune um, out there in Iowa. And he is also a, an editor at the Liberty Conservative and a senior contributor there with us too. Uh, we had a great topic and a great conversation, a very fascinating conversation about what it means, what, what America's demographic shifts mean and what immigration means to this country, and how that's going to going to play out here in the next in the next coming years, and what what the immigration debate means for um, for Americans, what it means for American politics, what it means, and what it means really for the Republican Party and for the Democratic Party, and how we can respond for, uh, respond to that as parties and as a nation, and what we need to do with our immigration crisis. It's a great topic. Uh, Joel comes at it from a, a much more libertarian. Joel comes at it. Sorry, <laughs> I don't enunciate all the way sometimes comes at it from a much more libertarian standpoint than I do. Uh, Gavin kind of moderates it. Um, but I, I think at the end, we, we really find some mutual agreement. We have a great conversation about culture and um, what it means to grow up in a different society and all that kind of stuff. So stay tuned for that conversation coming up right now, right now, coming up right now on the uh, on the podcast. This is James Allsop. This is Campus Report. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, stay tuned with us on iTunes and Google Play. We're now on both of those. So you can find us there and, and stay updated. Easy. No work for you. Just search our name and hit subscribe, and we'll be there every Monday for you. And thank you for joining us, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Hello, everyone. This is the Liberty Conservative Podcast. It's our first episode, inaugural episode. Uh, It's a bit of a test run, really. We haven't even finalized the name, but I have two great guests on the program today, both members of the Liberty Conservative Editorial Board. They are James Alsup, who is an assistant editor, and Joel Curtinitis, who is a contributing editor to the Liberty Conservative. Now, James is uh, the president of this college uh, Republican chapter out in eastern Washington state. Uh, he had the, I guess, utmost pleasure to introduce uh, Donald Trump at a rally out in Washington. And he, like I said, he's a contributor to the Liberty Conservative. And Joel Curtinitis is a branded contributor for the, Bra- for the Blaze. He is a columnist for the Des Moines Register, and he served on Ron Paul's campaign back in 2012. So thank you guys for coming on the program. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, of course. Now, uh, there's a lot of stuff coming out in the news recently. I'm sure you guys have heard uh, with the audio of Trump making some sort of uh, offhanded remarks, WikiLeaks, kind of a well-timed release of some more Clinton emails, and, of course, the debate tomorrow. So I wanted to start with uh, you, James, your views on it. Uh, There's a lot of stuff going back and forth. People are downplaying Trump's audio. People are... Uh, trying to highlight more of the emails that just came up. How do you think this plays into the debate on Sunday? Are we expecting a huge change? I know Trump recently brought up he wasn't going to bring up uh, Bill Clinton's past, but now I think that might be on the table. Where, where do you think? Where do you see things heading? Well, I think this completely shifted the structure and the nature of the debate. If you watched Trump's apology video last night that he posted to his Facebook and to um, uh, Fox News as well. He made it pretty clear that he's going to go after Bill Clinton and his history of his history of rape, right? He's going to mention Bill Clinton's multiple rapes. He's going to mention Hillary intimidating rape victims and bullying rape victims. And I think that's something that that he wanted to mention in the first debate, but it would have been uncouth to do so. But I think with this with this release of this audio that has come out and with Hillary Clinton saying it's it's horrifying what Trump said about women, which is something you would hear in any gym locker room in in this country, literally. Uh, it's it's something that you know. She went there, and so he's going to go there. And when it comes to treatment of women, one candidate clearly has a better track record for treatment of women. Uh, Donald Trump actually comparatively paid women more in his organization than Hillary Clinton paid women at the Clinton Foundation compared to men. He has a history of promoting women to high positions of power. And some offhand audio uh, taken on a hot mic about him trying to uh, get consensual sex from women 
really pales in comparison to Bill Clinton's history of rape and Hillary Clinton's history of intimidating rape victims. Now, Joel, I'm sure you want to jump in on that. I know you're no fan of the Clintons, but you're no fan of Trump either. Uh, if you want to just respond to what James said, throw out your own points about the debate, what I brought up earlier as the initial question. Sure. I mean, I I actually, you might be a little bit surprised where I'm coming from on this. My initial response yesterday when I started seeing these statements come out was, really? Like, this this is what did it for you? Like, this guy's got disgusting policy positions. He's He's, he's completely thoughtless. He doesn't hold any conservative views. He has no respect for the Constitution. But this is what you're going to end up thinking him with? You know, it just, uh, to, to me, given everything that Trump has done so far, this seemed like kind of a minor transgression. Um, it, it was disgusting. It was lewd. And, uh, you know, the defense that I've seen everywhere is, is exactly what James said, which is this is typical locker room conversation. But the problem is we that's not what we're shooting for for president. I don't want, uh, you know, a teenage jock running for president with, with that same mentality. You have to be above that. And especially as conservatives and, and and people who are interested in restoring character and morality and decency to the country, I, I just don't – I think we could do better than that. Um, and so when I looked at it, obviously it's not as abominable as, as some of the things that I uh, view Trump policy-wise. But, um, but as far as character and morality, I don't think there's anything there that really shocks anyone. Uh, what's shocking to me is the response that, that has come from it. But I did want to note one thing of interest, and I brought this up on social media, and that is – you know, when Trump comes out with these disgusting comments and, and the, the things that he said, the number of Republicans that actually came out and condemned the comments, whether they condemned uh, Trump or not by, uh, by name, was it was really encouraging for me to see, hey, look, Republicans actually will call out their own people when it's necessary for things that are uncouth or things that are, um, you know, lewd. And, and meanwhile, you look at the Democrat side, where, where's, the, where's the comparative noise? Where are the Sanders people condemning Clinton? Where are the people that are going after Hillary for her uh, not only horrible policies, but the, the, the horrible, shady, underhanded, dishonest things that she's done, which they admit to? You know, where, where's the principle on the Democrat side? So that was to me, that was the big takeaway from yesterday. Yeah, Joe, like, uh, I remember seeing that point on your wall. You posted a status, thought it was a great point, how, you know, at least, you know, you could say what you want about the Republican establishment. At, at least they do. They do comment, you know, maybe for the better or worse on their candidate. And its positions, it seems like the Democrats are completely void of any sort of self-reflection, which you could take from it what you will. Now, uh, James, I kind of cut you off there. so Yeah, Joel, I think that's a good point. I think that what you're seeing from this is that Republicans are a lot worse at lying, or you could also say the Democrats are a lot better at lying. I mean, people in the Democratic Party don't like Hillary. Hillary has repeatedly demeaned Bernie Sanders supporters, saying they're all basement dwellers, and really has shown contempt for, for the people on uh, in her own party, but all the Democrats pretend like it's like it's nothing, right? They are very easy, or they're very uh, quick to gloss over disagreements within the Democratic Party because they're uniting to win. And now, whether that's that's a smart political strategy, probably yes. You know, it, it makes the the party more appealing, and it brings more people into the party because they feel like there's no infighting. Uh, but the Republicans, if you if you look at it from a moral perspective, I think the Republicans are are probably you know, ahead in, in that in that aspect, in that they'll take on Donald Trump when they disagree with him. Um, now, what are the consequences for that electorally? I know that Alex Smith came out today, the the chairman of the uh, Republican College Republican National Committee, and said that she's going to be she's going to be campaigning against Trump now, and she's the president of College Republicans uh, National Committee, uh, which prompted me to to today about 15 minutes ago call for her to resign. So I, I think that people on the Republican side. Um, I think a lot of people are, are thinking that this is over, right? And they're trying to jump ship and they're trying to trying to salvage what they can from this. But I, I think it's a little bit premature. And uh, just to the point that, that Hillary Clinton, uh, regarding Hillary Clinton, she said in her emails that were released, that people are glossing over in the WikiLeaks emails, that she has a public and private position on everything. And I think that's something that should not go go. Uh, unnoticed, right, is that is that she has a public and a private persona. So this is something that is from Trump's private persona, uh, but he's owning up to it. You know, he says that he did it and he apologized and he's sorry. Uh, he hasn't spent his last 30 years as a politician, right? He was having a candid moment with, with a friend and, and you know, people have candid moments with friends that they don't want to be publicized. But unlike Hillary, he's owning up to it. He's not, he's not denying that, you know, he's, he is uh, a flawed man. And I think that, I think that shows a level of humility from him. No, that's interesting. It's also a segue. I guess we're going to work our way into the email scandal. One of them was that she has a public and private position on many uh, swaths of issues. One thing that seems that she seems to be quite uh, 
vocal about, and I guess you could say is a legitimate position of hers, is her support for what she claims to be open borders, a hemispheric open borders type of system, and a hemispheric free trade uh, area. This is something that she said at one of these Wall Street speeches. Uh, do you guys believe that she even truly supports that notion, or is just everything on the table for this woman in regards to votes and nothing really holds true to her in her personal life and her personal views? I'll throw that out to whoever wants to. You want to take it first? Yeah, absolutely, Joel. Yeah, um, I I think she's completely amoral. Um, I I don't think she has any foundational beliefs at all. I think uh, she's a a pragmatist by definition. Uh, Watching her views evolve from the time that I was a kid in the 90s and the things she advocated for back then alongside Bill to today, I mean, she basically just changes with the wind and whatever people want to hear. Bernie Sanders dragged her left, kicking and screaming through this entire election cycle, and and now she's trying to play the role that's before her, what she thinks will beat Trump. And uh, I don't think she has a foundational belief at all. I think you put her in a room with a bunch of Goldman Sachs donors, and then you take her from there and put her in a in a in a room with a bunch of liberal activists, and she's going to say whatever will please each group. Doesn't matter if they're five minutes apart. And part of what I saw in those emails was was actually, in fact, the degree to which she's just a teleprompter reading uh, machine. You know, the, to the degree to which the consultants actually managed her campaign and scripted her on everything. Um, I mean, she's 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 just an empty shell of a politician waiting to be filled with whatever ideals will get her through the next week. And James, anything on that? Yeah, I think the the admission that she is in support of open borders should be a wake-up call to everyone who is on the right, who is also never Trump. I mean, it's a, it's a simple question of demographics. If we get open borders and if we get amnesty in this country, Republicans will never win another national election. And that's just something that we have to acknowledge, is that this is realistically the last election where Republicans will ever be competitive. It just is. I mean, the Democrats are so, or the demographics, I should say, are so unfavorable to Republicans going forward that this is really our last shot. I mean, if Hillary amnesties the 11 to 16 million illegal immigrants in this country, which is going to cause their birth rate to skyrocket, uh, within 18 years, we won't have a country anymore because the the children of these, according to Pew Research, the children of illegal immigrants vote tend to vote 70 30 Democrat. And so, if we think that within the next 30 years we'll still have a still have a country, we're deluding ourselves because the children of these illegal immigrants, which they're going to have three to four per family because their birth rate is exceptionally high, they are going to vote overwhelmingly Democrat. And, and so, Republicans or people on the right need to realize this is our last shot. I mean, if we don't vote Trump here, we can probably never get a Republican elected again. And what's also amazing in the emails that maybe you guys saw or not are between some of her high-ranking staffers, they were talking about immigrants. They were making some, you know, pretty pretty gross, even racist comments you could say in these emails. Um, one was saying, you know, there are different, you know, they were, you know, maybe some people agree with this, some people disagree, but they were basically describing, you know, different types of immigrants. And, you know, these are successful immigrants from these certain demographics. They brought up Jews, they brought up Sikhs, they brought up Hindus that have brought Chinese. And then her own staffers said, you know, there, then there's bad kinds of immigrants who mostly come from Africa. They even mentioned gypsies. Uh, they mentioned Eastern Europeans. So it's, it's quite telling. And I would love to see the media's reaction to this if there is any. Uh, to pick up on this, it kind of goes against her whole narrative. Um, of course, she doesn't really have one that's honest to begin with. But, um, you know, it, it does it is interesting. You know, they're they're trying to push for open borders. But at the same time, they're admitting uh, many of these different groups uh, would be a societal drain. I don't know what you guys think about well, this or if you saw that email. Well, I, I didn't see that email, but it sounds like she has uh, she's employing consultants from the alt-right because that's what the alt-right has been saying for a long time is that, is that there are differences in in people from different demographics and and. People from different demographics and different cultures will perform differently in a democratic capitalist society like ours. So really, that's something that is that is objectively true. It can be proven through objective research and science. Um, but it's interesting how the Democrats and, and the left will call anybody a racist, bigot, homophobe if they're on the right for saying that. But her own staffers will say it in their own internal emails. A little bit ironic. And Joel? So, so with regard to the to back up a little bit on the immigration question, I am not very old, um, but I am old enough to remember uh, back during the end of Reagan's term and and then into Bush's term. You know, when, when there was talk about amnesty back then, it was right after an amnesty package was passed, we were told the tales of doom and gloom back then too. We thought that was going to be the end of the world. They were all going to vote Democrat, blah blah blah. I mean, that, that was that was a huge deal back when it happened, and none of that came to pass. And and not only that, but now looking at the, the rate of immigration that we've allowed from then until now, it, it's big and it's troubling. And the, the borders do need to be shut down. We do need to stop people from you know breaking our law and coming in across the border illegally. But 
the rate of immigration that we have now is nowhere close to what it was at the beginning of last century, not even close. And so the, the scenarios of doom and gloom that are coming up saying these people are going to you know, corrupt our culture, blah, 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 blah. It, it, it's never proven true, but it's always been touted as a legitimate threat. Now, as far as election, I would say that the highest numbers that I have seen, the highest estimates for illegal immigration uh, in recent years puts the number at about 30 million, which is, you know, maybe just under 10 percent of our total population. Still a low number by comparison to early 1900s, but it's a significant number nonetheless. Um, but as far as elections go, I think you have a much bigger problem coming down the pipe. I'm going to talk about the rate at which uh, Hispanic families and, and immigrant families uh, vote Democrat, which is a pretty high rate, although they are also uh, Catholic and, and mostly socially conservative, which is a dichotomy that I think we can exploit. Um, but you have a bigger problem. You've got Bernie Sanders millennials coming up that vote Democrat and hate Donald Trump, hate everything that he stands for, hate their perception of the right that's being misconstrued all over the country right now by people who don't understand the Constitution but have a problem with immigrants nonetheless. And so that that is the bigger swell that's coming up. You want to talk about what 30 million illegal immigrants can do given the chance to vote? Let me tell you what 150 million millennials can do. I mean, that's, that's the threat that's coming up that nobody's talking about because we're focused on the problem of immigration, which by comparison is minor. See, very interesting point. This is kind of in James' backyard, so. Yeah, I think the, I think the threats about, this is something I've, I've heard Ben Shapiro say quite a bit is that we're poisoning the well with young voters. I tend to disagree. I, I think the, the polling that we see among young people right now, uh, it's, it's very, it's not, very well pulled. It's not a well pulled demographic. I mean, a lot of times they don't have access to people who are are eighteen to twenty because these people have never voted before. They don't know who to call to to be polled. So I think we will I'll have to wait and see until election day to see who is actually or what what the demographics are, what the split is among young voters. Uh, there were earlier polls that suggested that they were fairly neck and neck. Trump and Hillary were fairly neck and neck with with each other in this in this race. Um, but I think even if there are uh, positive or negative effects, I think they'll be short lived. Because we've seen that the millennial demographic flip uh, before, you know, back in 88, which is uh, comparatively not that long ago, uh, Republicans were winning the millennial, the the young voter demographic. Um, but I think the threat is not posed by, by new immigrants coming to the country, although there is some threat of, of terrorism, et cetera, and social services uh, abuse, et cetera. It's the threat of the, the children of illegal immigrants. I mean, I look at the numbers from the from the Pew Research Center right here among political party affiliation among Hispanics 2012, um, and these are among um, foreign-born Hispanics. It's 45 to 8 identify Democrat to Republican. 8% of them identify as uh, Republican. Um, among unauthorized immigrants... It's 31% Democrat to 4% Republican. So Republicans are getting schlonged here, and, and they really need to wake up and realize that the the children of these people are going to vote much in the same way their parents did. That's not just unique to immigrants, not unique to illegal immigrants. It's, it's how people vote. Uh, they tend to take after their parents politically. And if we were to amnesty 30 million illegal immigrants... Their birth rate would surely skyrocket. They're already having about two to three kids per family, which is which is more than the native population. It's not unreasonable to expect three to four children per family, and they're uh, it's looking like eighty to ninety percent of them will be Democratic voters. And so, I think regardless of of what happens with millennials, I think even if millennials were were fifty fifty um, or or even seventy thirty Democrat, it wouldn't matter because we have this massive influx of uh, the children of undocumented immigrants who are going to be voting majority Democrat. So even if even if we have one or two more Republican presidents, within within 18 years, within 20 years, it's going to be all over because the, the surge will hit in about 18 to 20 years. Do you think that there's any merit to the argument that Joel was bringing up? And I've also heard people like Krauthammer espouse these views, you know, that there are uh, many indicators that they could make up a solid conservative demographic, you know, being strongly Catholic, kind of traditional in many senses, they kind of seem on paper almost that they could sway or be more competitive for a Republican uh, candidate for a Republican party, but it's not obviously, as you mentioned, it's not panning out on paper. Do you think there's any merit to these, to these indicators, you know, with the Catholicism, with the family values, et cetera? No, I, I really don't. I think that people are more inclined to vote um, ec- based on economics and not on social policy. And in terms of economics, just talking statistically here, you know, Hispanics, tend to be poorer than than the average uh, white American than the average American tend to be poorer. Uh, this is the same for African Americans, and this is this is why part of why we see them vote overwhelmingly for bigger government for bigger social programs. Um, and, and you have to also take into account too that 
a lot of these people who are coming from countries like Venezuela, right, or or from other countries in South America that have large governments. That's what they're used to. And and what I I see a lot of libertarians say, oh well, they're fleeing their government, and and they're fleeing big government to get here where it's free. Okay, fine. But then that doesn't explain why they vote overwhelmingly for bigger government when they get here. And so we need to realize that people are coming from cultures that don't have a cultural history. They don't they don't have the Western values we have in our country of small government, individual rights. Uh, their 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 entire lives and and throughout history they've been uh, controlled by large centralized governments. So it's not unreasonable to expect they'll come here and vote for large centralized governments, which is in fact what we see happening. How do you describe the Cuban situation in Florida? They seem pretty heavily Republican. Those people have to go through a lot harder time to get here, um, and, and they've they've experienced uh, a decline and a collapse of a centralized state in a way that that we haven't. I mean. Um, in a way that most Hispanic countries, I should say, and most South American countries haven't, um, those people are coming here, you know, they're, they're taking extreme risks to, to get here more extreme than, than other illegal immigrants. Because now, they Joel, can... I don't want to oh, go ahead. Joel, I don't want to skip out on you. I just have another follow up for James. Now you, you're mentioning no, a lot good. about in regards to the Hispanic immigrants. You know, I come from New York and there are a lot of, um, you know, here in Brooklyn, there's a lot of Russian immigrants, people from the former Soviet Union. Um, they certainly aren't, you know, high on the socioeconomic ladder, especially when they first get here. They, you might argue, you know, they have, you know, a lot of uh, technical degrees and lots of other stuff, but they tend to vote overwhelmingly Republican, even more so than the Cuban vote. Um, you know, these Russians, they're voting, you know, heavily for Trump. They vote heavily for Republicans. They also come from poor backgrounds. They also come from countries like Venezuela with big government involvement. How do you, how do you, do you, do you base your views on this immigrant voting pattern, James, um, universally, or is it different for for the different countries and the backgrounds they come from? Well, I think it's different for the different countries and the backgrounds they come from. I think that that certainly has something to uh, some, has an effect on it. I haven't seen the the numbers. I'm only I'm basing this hypothesis off of the fact that that uh, you know premise A is that they come from these countries with large centralized governments. Premise two, or or piece of evidence two, is that when they get here, we see in terms of their voting and, and their opinions on government, they overwhelmingly favor larger government, and so. You can draw a connection between the two. Okay, they come from a place with a big government. They want more government here. And that's why I don't really understand why so many people come here and then complain about our country, right? We have a lot of uh, – I'm on the college campuses, right? I, I talk to mostly a lot of college students, and there's this new movement that's undocumented and unafraid. And they come here and they and they say, oh, America's this racist place, and they say that America is so terrible and racist to everybody. And so their solution is to vote for bigger government. It's to vote for, for the left. And – I just don't understand why you would go to a different country and then because supposedly it's better than where you came from and then vote to make it more like your home country. I just don't understand that. Mm -hmm.